This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dr. Seward's Diary, 11 October, evening. Jonathan Harker has asked me to note this, as he says he is hardly equal to the task and he wants an exact record kept. I think that none of us were surprised when we were asked to see Mrs. Harker a little before the time of sunset. We have of late come to understand that sunrise and sunset are to her times of peculiar freedom, when her old self can be manifest without any controlling force subduing or restraining her, or inciting her to action. This mood or condition begins some half hour or more before actual sunrise or sunset, and lasts either till the sun is high, or whilst the clouds are still aglow with the rays streaming above the horizon. At first there is a sort of negative condition, as if some tie were loosened and then the absolute freedom quickly follows. When, however, the freedom ceases, the change back or relapse comes quickly, preceded only by a spell of warning silence. Tonight, when we met, she was somewhat constrained and bore all the signs of an internal struggle. I put it down myself to her making a violent effort at the earliest instant she could do so. A very few minutes, however, gave her complete control of herself, then, motioning her husband to sit beside her on the sofa, where she was half reclining, she made the rest of us bring chairs up close. Taking her husband's hand in hers, began, We are all here together in freedom, for perhaps the last time. I know, dear, I know that you will always be with me to the end. This was to her husband, whose hand had, as we could see, tightened upon hers. In the morning, we go out upon our task, and God alone knows what may be in store for any of us. You are going to be so good to me as to take me with you. I know that all that brave, earnest men can do for a poor, weak woman whose soul perhaps is lost, no, no, not yet, but is at any rate at stake, you will do. But you must remember that I am not as you are. 
There is a poison in my blood, in my soul, which may destroy me. Which must destroy me unless some relief comes to us. Oh, my friends, you know as well as I do that my soul is at stake. And though I know there is one way out for me, you must not, and I must not, take it. She looked appealingly to us all in turn, beginning and ending with her husband. What is that way? asked Van Helsing in a hoarse voice. What is that way which we must not, may not, take? That I may die now, either by my own hand or that of another, before the greater evil is entirely wrought. I know, and you know, that were I once dead, you could and would set free my immortal spirit, even as you did my poor Lucy's. Were death, or the fear of death, the only thing that stood in the way, I would not shrink to die here, now, amidst the friends who love me. But death is not all. I cannot believe that to die in such a case, when there is hope before us, and a bitter task to be done, is God's will. Therefore I, on my part, give up here the certainty of eternal rest, and go out into the dark, where may be the blackest things that the world or the netherworld holds. We were all silent, for we knew instinctively that this was only a prelude. The faces of the others were set, and Harkers grew ashen grey. Perhaps he guessed better than any of us what was coming. She continued. This is what I can give into the hotchpot. I could not but note the quaint legal phrase which she used in such a place, and with all seriousness. What will each of you give? Your lives, I know. She went on quickly. That is easy for brave men. Your lives are God's, and you can give them back to him. But what will you give to me? She looked again, questioningly, but this time avoided her husband's face. Quincy seemed to understand. He nodded, and her face lit up. Then I shall tell you plainly what I want, for there must be no doubtful matter in this connection between us now. You must promise me, one and all, even you, my beloved husband, that should the time come, you will kill me. What is that term? The voice was Quincy's, but it was low and strained. When you shall be convinced that I am so changed, that it is better that I die, that I may live. When I am thus dead in the flesh, then you will, without a moment's delay, drive a stake through me and cut off my head, or do whatever else may be wanting to give me rest. Quincy was the first to rise after the pause. He knelt down before her, and taking her hand in his, said solemnly, I'm only a rough fellow, who hasn't, perhaps, lived as a man should to win such a distinction. But I swear to you by all that I hold sacred and dear that, should the time ever come, I shall not flinch from the duty that you have set us. And I promise you too, that I shall make all certain. For if I am only doubtful, I shall take it that the time has come. My true friend, 
was all she could say amid her fast-falling tears as, bending over, she kissed his hand. I swear the same, my dear Madame Mina, said Van Helsing. And I, said Lord Godalming, each of them in turn kneeling to her to take the oath. I followed myself. Then her husband turned to her, one-eyed and with a greenish pallor which subdued the snowy whiteness of his hair, and asked, And must I, too, make such a promise, O my wife? You too, my dearest, she said, with infinite yearning of pity in her voice and eyes. You must not shrink. You are nearest and dearest and all the world to me. Our souls are knit into one for all life and all time. Think, dear, that there have been times when brave men have killed their wives and their womenkind to keep them from falling into the hands of the enemy. Their hands did not falter any the more because those that they loved implored them to slay them. It is men's duty towards those whom they love in such times of sore trial. And oh, my dear, if it is to be that I must meet death at any hand, let it be at the hand of him that loves me best. Dr. Van Helsing, I have not forgotten your mercy in poor Lucy's case to him who loved... She stopped with a flying blush and changed her phrase. To him who had best right to give her peace. If that time shall come again, I look to you to make it a happy memory of my husband's life, that it was his loving hand which set me free from the awful thrall upon me. Again, I swear, came the professor's resonant voice. Mrs. Harker smiled, positively smiled, as with a sigh of relief, she leaned back and said, And now, one word of warning, a warning which you must never forget. This time, if it ever come, may come quickly and unexpectedly. And in such case, you must lose no time in using your opportunity. At such a time, I myself might be, nay, if the time ever comes, shall be, leagued with your enemy against you. One more request. She became very solemn as she said this. It is not vital and necessary like the other, but I want you to do one thing for me, if you will. We all acquiesced, but no one spoke. There was no need to speak. I want you to read the burial service. <sighs> she was interrupted by a deep groan from her husband. <sighs> Taking his hand in hers, she held it over her heart and continued. You must read it over me some day. Whatever may be the issue of all this fearful state of things, it will be a sweet thought to all or some of us. You, my dearest, will I hope read it, for then it will be in your voice in my memory forever. Come what may. But, oh, my dear one, he pleaded, death is afar off from you. Nay, she said, holding up a warning hand. I am deeper in death at this moment than if the weight of an earthly grave lay heavy upon me. Oh, my wife, must I read it? He said before he began. It would comfort me, my husband, 
was all she said, and he began to read when she had got the book ready. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me How can I? shall never die. How could anyone I said, tell of that I will take strange scene? That I offend not in my tongue. It's solemnity, it's gloom, it's sadness, it's horror. Well, the ungodly is in my sight. And withal, I held my tongue and it's spake nothing. sweetness. I kept silence, yea, even, even a skeptic who can words. see nothing but a travesty of bitter things. truth in anything holy or emotional would have been. My heart was hot within me, and well, I was thus musing. Melted to the heart, but he seen that little group of loving and devoted friends Lord, let me know my kneeling round that stricken and sorrowing lady, and the number of my days, or heard the tender passion of her husband's voice, that I may be certified how long as in I have tones to so broken with emotion that often he had to pause. As it were a span he read the simple and beautiful service for the burial of the, the dead. I verily every man living is altogether vanity. I. The man walketh in a vain shadow, and disquieteth himself in vain. I cannot go on. He heapeth up riches and... Words and... Cannot tell who shall gather them. The voice... Fail me. And now, Lord... What is my hope? Truly my hope is even in thee. She was right in her instinct. Strange as it all was, bizarre as it may hereafter seem even to us who felt its potent influence at the time, it comforted us much, and the silence which showed Mrs. Harker's coming relapse from her freedom of soul did not seem so full of despair to any of us as we had dreaded. This episode featured Jonathan Sims as Jack Seward, Isabel Aramako Young as Mina Harker, Alan Bergen as Van Helsing, Giancarlo Herrera as Quincy Morris, David Olt as Lord Godalming, and Ben Galpin as Jonathan Harker. Dialogue editing by Stephen Andresano, sound design by Tal Manier, featuring music by Travis Reeves, produced by Ella Watts and Pacific S. Obadiah with executive producers Stephen Andrasano, Tal Manier, and Hannah Wright. A Bloody FM production.